We'll take our text this morning from just one verse, John chapter 3. We'll look at verse 7. Marvel not that I said unto thee, ye must be born again. Ye must be born again. We would describe that as an imperative statement, a must. That's something that is certain or non-negotiable. An imperative is not to be avoided or evaded. It's a necessity. It expresses a command or an order. It's a must. The Word of God gives us several imperative statements. With the Lord's help this morning, we'll look at four. I guess if you were to put a title to the message this morning, you could call it, Ye must, we must, I must, and he must. Of course, this first statement here, ye must be born again. That again, that's an imperative statement. That is non-negotiable. That is a necessity for everyone who ever hopes to get into the kingdom of heaven. That is a must for everyone who's ever made it. That is an imperative. It was non-negotiable for you and for I. The command is still the same. You must be born again. We know this was, of course, Christ's interview with this man named Nicodemus. We're not sure exactly why Nicodemus came to uh, speak with the Lord that night. Perhaps he had some questions. We know he came in the middle of the night for a reason, because he was a Jew, a Pharisee, part of the religious leadership at the time. So no doubt he was afraid to be seen speaking to the Lord. We know that he sensed there was something different about Jesus. He said, Rabbi, we know you're a teacher. Come from God. You couldn't do these things except God was with you. Maybe this was the beginning of a spiritual awakening for Nicodemus. We're not sure exactly, but you know, Jesus didn't mince words with Nicodemus. Jesus didn't engage him in a long dialogue. He got right to the heart of the matter. He said, Nicodemus, ye must be born again. Nicodemus didn't understand this. He tried to figure out how that would occur physically, but the Lord was emphasizing the fact that it's a spiritual birth, a spiritual change. That must take place. You know, it's not about being religious or a faithful church member. It's not about being connected or having a great education. You know, if that was the case, Nicodemus would have been fine just the way he was. The Bible tells us he was a master in Israel, a ruler, a leader, uh, someone who had been trained and brought up uh, to know the law. In school, no doubt, in the best uh, synagogues or schools available, should have known. But you know what? All of that training, all of that education, and Nicodemus hadn't even reached that starting point. It's not about what we know or how much we know. I've heard people say, well, the popular saying now, I guess, among millennials is, you'll talk to people that say, well, I'm, I'm not religious, but I'm spiritual. Well, I'm not really sure what that means. Does it matter if you're religious or spiritual? Are you born again? 
You can be both or you can be neither. The question is, are you born again? People say, well, I'm not into organized religion. Again, I, well, you know, disorganized religion? I don't know. What does that mean exactly? But it doesn't matter. The question is, are you born again? You must be born again. This is what Jesus was telling Nicodemus, and this is the same message the Lord is telling us today. Of course, we know how to be born again. The Lord tells us too. We have to confess our sins. We have to repent, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved. That's where it all begins. That's the starting point. Again, education and upbringing, pedigrees, none of that makes any difference. I was thinking about Brother Charles Rodman's testimony. He told about how he'd been brought up in church and Sunday school from the time he was just a small child. His name was placed on the church membership roll. He said as a young man, he started out at 16 years of age studying for the ministry because he believed God's word to be true. For 16 years he studied. He spent eight of those years at Princeton University. He had majored in Greek and came out with three different degrees. He continued on to do postgraduate studies uh, to earn other degrees. The man was brilliant, well-educated, fluent in Hebrew and Greek, knew the Old Testament and the New Testament. After he got out of college and completed his education, he was given a position as a pastor of a, a large church in the state of Washington, never been born again, had all this experience, all this head knowledge, and he'd never been born again. He said, though I preached the Bible standard for Christians, I failed to measure up to it. He said, no one had ever told me it was possible to live 24 hours a day, every day, without sin. He didn't know. He said, I didn't know there was power in the gospel to transform a person's life. Imagine that, probably a lot like Nicodemus had a whole lot of head knowledge, had great schooling and upbringing, all of this education, yet he didn't possess that experience of salvation down in his heart because nobody had ever told him. He said he would stand in front of his congregation and try to uh, expound to them about uh, living the gospel standards and the virtues of the gospel, realizing he couldn't measure it up to it himself, and he felt like a failure. said he got to the point where he was almost ready to give up altogether. thought there was nothing to it at all because he didn't find any satisfaction. It wasn't until a few years later when he happened to come upon a street meeting in Portland, Oregon. And he said he heard people stand on their feet and tell about how the Lord saved them. How they were born again. How the Lord delivered them from sin and gave them a life of victory. He said it was like a light bulb came on for the first time. He said, here was the answer to the unrest in my soul. I discovered that a Christian life was not a matter of struggling against sinful desires, but of repenting of one's sin and becoming right with God. I came to the realization that a person may be well-versed in the original languages of the Bible and doctrinal subjects without being acquainted with the great God of heaven. Well, he went to church with them and he prayed a prayer of repentance. He said, I repented of my sins. He didn't get saved there on his knees, but he said that night as he was going back to the place he was staying. He says, the peace of God just uh, flooded his soul. It stole over him like the calm after a storm, and he knew he'd been born again. At that moment, he knew he was ready for heaven. He says, that one prayer, that one honest prayer, 
wrought in his life what years of struggling couldn't do. All of that education amounted to nothing until he was born again. It's the same with us. We must be born again. That's where we start. That leads us to our second imperative. We read about that in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10. It tells us this, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. You know, there are two different judgments in God's Word. There's the great white throne judgment, which is the final judgment. Most scholars and theologians believe this is not talking about that judgment. Our church holds to this same position. The judgment seat of Christ is actually not a judgment for sinful deeds, but it's a, a basically a reward ceremony for those that have served the Lord faithfully. This takes place right after the rapture of the church, during the marriage supper of the Lamb. And at that point in time, uh, Christ will award those who are faithful in the Lord's service. This isn't a time for the saints to be judged as sinners, but as servants. It's a wonderful thing. It's a wonderful hope we have as Christians. Why is it so important that you must be born again? Well... You have to be born again to appear before the judgment seat of Christ. And you know what? If you're not at that judgment, the Word of God tells us you're going to face another judgment. That is that great white throne of judgment. That's that place where sinners who refuse to repent, who were not born again, will stand before the Lord in their shame and their agony all by themselves. And at that point, the books will be opened. And their names, though they won't be found in that book of life, they'll be cast into everlasting punishment forever and ever. We don't want to be there. We want to make sure that we're there at that judgment seat of Christ. We do that by being born again, by having our sins forgiven. Tells us 1 Timothy 5.24, Some men's sins are open beforehand, going before to judgment, and some men they follow after. When you're born again, those sins, you send them on up ahead of time. It says the Lord takes those sins and He removes them. As far as the east is from the west, He doesn't remember those things against us anymore. You must be born again. Again, anyone who is at present at the judgment seat of Christ will have to face the God of all judgment. It says the dead will give up, uh, the sea will give up the dead and the graves and all of those wicked dead will be called before the Lord to give an account for the way they spent their lives. We're all going to face the Lord. All of us, every one of us are going to give an account. We have the choice. We can be born again. We can stand before the judgment seat of Christ or we can reject the Lord's offer of salvation. We don't want to do that. You must be born again. John 3, verse 30, gives us another imperative. Finding God's Word here. He must increase, but I must decrease. Those were the words spoken by um, John the Baptist. John was the forerunner of Christ. And you know, he, he, he understood something here. 
And that should really be the, the desire of every Christian. He must increase. We must decrease. If we want Christ's blessings in our lives, He must increase. We must decrease. You know what brought John his greatest joy? John knew his place. John knew his place. We read in verse 29 and 30. It says, He that hath the bride is the bridegroom, but the friend of the bridegroom which standeth and heareth him rejoiceth greatly because of the bridegroom's voice. This my joy thereof is fulfilled. His joy was fulfilled when Christ was revealed. He realized Christ must increase. I must decrease. The one who hears Christ's voice and obeys him is the one that will enjoy, will have the greatest joy. The friend of the bridegroom which standeth and heareth and rejoiceth. When you hear and do what God's word says, it brings the greatest joy. We can't enjoy the fullness of God's blessings in our lives until we get ourselves out of the way. We can't come to the Lord and expect to receive anything from the Lord until we're willing to humble ourselves. Of course, we all had to do that. When we were saved, we came to the Lord in humility, surrender. We gave the Lord everything in repentance. We realized how much we needed the Lord. We had to humble ourselves. You know what? That doesn't stop after we're saved. Anytime we want God's blessing in our lives, we have to decrease. Let God increase in our lives. Anytime we get ourselves out of the way, that gives the Lord the opportunity to work, to move in our lives. The more we empty ourselves of ourselves, the more the Lord can fill us with His presence. This is something we should always strive to do. He must increase. We must decrease. Humility brings God's blessing. James Chapter 4, verse 10 says, Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and He shall lift you up. The Lord gives us a choice. We can humble ourselves, or we can let God humble us. I'll tell you, it's much easier. Humble yourself. If the Lord is dealing with your heart, if there's an area of pride, something you're resisting, Yield it to the Lord. God will help you. God will humble you if you're not willing to do it. But God help us. It says if we're willing to humble ourselves, the Lord will lift us up. The Bible tells us that God resists the proud. It's almost like God holds the proud at arm's length. But He gives grace to the humble. You need God's grace? Humble yourself. Admit you need God's help. You know, there's a reason Jesus said of John that he was uh, out of... Every man born of a woman, there wasn't a greater than John. It wasn't because he was some rugged individual who could survive in the wilderness on locusts and wild honey. That might have been impressive to some, but you know what? It was his humility. The fact that he realized uh, Christ must increase, he must decrease. Jesus tells us in Matthew 18, verse 4, he says, Whosoever therefore shall humble himself as this little child, the same is greatest in the kingdom of heaven. You know, children aren't too proud to ask for help. And they're not too proud to admit when they need help. That's how we need to come to the Lord in humility. God must increase. We must decrease. And the Lord will bless us if we come with that kind of attitude. One other must statement we read in God's Word, John chapter 4, verse 3 and 4. 
So speaking of Jesus, he says he left Judea and departed again into Galilee, and he must needs go through Samaria. What was it that compelled Christ to go through Samaria that day? You know what it was? It was his compassion for the lost. He knew there was a woman down there who desperately needed that living water. He knew she was bound in sin, knew she was in a seemingly impossible situation. We know, according to this account, we read, uh, it's obvious she was even ostracized by her own people. We gather that by the time she came to that well, the fact she was alone. That was a time when they usually would socialize, and she was by herself, uh, shunned by her own people. Been married five different times. This woman was bound. Not only that, she was a Samaritan. We know history tells us that the Samaritans and the Jews, uh, they hated each other. They despised each other. Even though Galilee and Samaria, uh, even though uh, when Jesus was traveling there from Judea to Galilee, Samaria was right in the middle. It was a direct route. But because of the bigotry and the hatred between the two races, they would often go around the city just to avoid contact with each other. Here Jesus said, I must needs go through Samaria. Jesus goes to great lengths to reach the lost. You know, he was willing to cross social and racial barriers. He was willing willing to go against the ideas and traditions of men to reach a lost soul. Aren't you thankful the Lord is willing to go to great lengths to reach those that are lost? This wasn't a random occurrence or just a random meeting. Uh, This was preordained by the Lord himself. He said, I must needs go through Samaria because he knew That woman would be there with a need, what time she would be there, where she would be. And the Lord knew her heart. The Lord knew she was looking for that living water. You know, this woman had to be honest with the Lord. No, when Jesus told her, go and call your husband, she said, I have no husband. This may have been the first time this woman was ever honest in her life. Jesus said, thou hast... Well said, I have no husband. Thou hast had five husbands, and the one whom thou hast now is not thy husband. In that sayest thou truly. She was willing to get honest with the Lord. And you know what? When Jesus confronted her with her sin, she didn't pull back. She didn't become offended. She didn't fight back. Uh, She had to admit, yes, I'm a sinner. And she was open to that living water. She was willing to receive what the Lord had uh, held out to her and offered her. Aren't you thankful the Lord is willing to come to where we are? You know, when we come to the end of ourselves, the Lord will be there. And this woman, she responded, and uh, we know she not only responded, but she went and told all those around her, come see a man who told me everything I ever did is not this the Christ. She believed. It says many came out from that village, and they met with the Lord, and it said, many believed on the Lord that day because of the words that they heard him speak. So we see this revival came to this area. But the Lord is looking for those that are lost. You know, if you're here this morning, you don't know Jesus, if you've never been born again, the Lord knows exactly where you are. God does. If you're willing to be honest, maybe the Lord is dealing with your heart. If he's confronting you about the sin in your life, surrender to the Lord. God will help you. You must be born again. God will help you. 
if we must be born again, it must be possible we can be born again. Aren't you thankful for that? God can help you this morning. You know, we'll close with an I will statement. We looked at the must statements. Let's look at one I will statement in John chapter 14, verses 1 through 3. These are Christ's own words. This is a promise that Jesus gave to his disciples, to those that were born again. These are the same words the Lord leaves to you today. If you're here and you're saved, you're born again. This is the hope that the Lord is offering to you. Let not your heart be troubled. Ye believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there ye may be also. Jesus will come again. Guaranteed. Jesus will come again. Of course, we know as we enter this Christmas season, we celebrate uh, how Christ came the first time as that baby in a manger and as the Savior of the world, that perfect Lamb that came to be a sacrifice for our sins, the one who knew no sin became sin for us. That's how he came the first time. But you know that next time he comes, he's not coming that same way. He's not coming as a lamb. He's coming as a lion. He's not coming as a sacrifice. He's coming to judge the world. He's coming to pour out wrath and vengeance on all of those who've rejected him, those who've refused to accept that offer of salvation. We don't have to be a part of that group. You can be born again. You can know your sins have been forgiven. Are you ready? Are you ready for that day? Just consider for a moment, what if the Lord were to come in the next several seconds? What if the Lord were to come before we ever celebrated another Christmas? Are you ready for the Lord's return? Are you born again of your sins been forgiven. The Lord can save you today. If you're not, the Lord can put that hope of heaven down in your heart. You know, for some, that's going to be the greatest day of rejoicing ever. For those who are ready, for those who've rejected the Lord's offer of salvation, what a day of horror and dread, undescribable. At that point, they'll have sealed their fate. But thank God we have today. If you're not ready, the Lord can help you to be ready. It's imperative. You must be born again. You can be born again. That's the good news. That's why Jesus came to forgive us of our sins, to set us free if you're willing to humble yourself, repent, believe on the Lord, call upon His name, the Lord will save you. The Word of God also tells us today, today if you hear His voice, harden not your heart as in the day of provocation. Today is your day. If you've heard the Lord, if you've heard the Lord's voice, if you're here or you're listening or watching on the webcast and the Lord has spoken to you, today's your day. We're not guaranteed tomorrow. Today can be your day. You can be born again. You can have that peace, that joy of heaven, flood your heart and soul today. God can help you. If you're seeking the Lord, if you're maybe struggling with some pride or something, give it to the Lord. God will bless you today. He'll set you free. Let's come and sing. The song is 478. These altars are open.